I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Brett Fun. Brett is a CEO of SecureSet. As a founder of the business in 2014, he has led the growth of the organization from startup to multiple programs and campuses. He oversees the growth, strategy, and financial operations for the company. As a former professor, Brett has a great passion and a strong executional focus on providing students with a quality education and a success in the placement process. He formerly served as the assistant professor at the University of Colorado Boulder and was the executive director for the Deming Center Venture Fund there. In this episode, we discuss cybersecurity education, filling the demand for cyber talent, the benefits of hiring people making a career change into information security, the Denver, Colorado cybersecurity scene, giving back to the community, getting outside of your comfort zone, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Hey, Brett. Thanks for joining me at Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. That's great. You know, you and I have been talking now for almost a year about what you're doing at SecureSet Academy. So why don't you kind of give the audience a little bit Two things, what uh, SecureSet Academy is and what the problem is you've been trying to solve. Wonderful, yeah. Uh, SecureSet Academy is a cybersecurity education company. Um, We're really focused on helping train the next generation of uh, entry-level professionals into the cybersecurity workforce. And so what we do is we, in a way, act as a marketplace between individuals who are looking to get into security but may not have... Um, you know, all the background and experience they need to get there, as well as for employers on the other side who are looking to hire individuals um, to fill a lot of those entry entry level roles. And, um, and that's what we do. We help uh, educate individuals, get them ready, and we work with employers to help get them in a new career. And one of the things that I've noticed, and, and certainly I've, I've reached out to you guys for recruiting and, and have talked with you guys, uh, so I, I'm definitely a big Which fan. Which we appreciate. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're happy to do it. It's, it's one of the things, too, is that I've noticed, you know, the, the, the caliber of people coming out are, are very are very good. Uh, but what's your overall kind of placement rate? I mean, is, people seem to be, almost everybody seems to get picked up. Right, yeah, we have a very high placement rate. And um, and, and we, we look at that over, um, you know, according to the market, over a six-month period of time. And in the past, as if we look last year, you know, we were, um, you know, mid up or 90% in terms of placement rate. So all the individuals who graduate in December, we have um, over half of them already placed and many of them still working on, uh, you know, finishing out which, which offers that they're, they're interested in taking. And so we, in the next three months, we expect that we'll get to that same level of placement rate. Gotcha. And so, you know, when you kind of look at what you're doing as kind of a boot camp and an accelerator compared to, say, a traditional three-year master's in computer forensics and cybersecurity programs, what what really makes a differentiator for what you guys are doing and why do you think it's so important that you're doing it the way that you do it? Yeah. So um, we take an immersive education approach, um, which means that uh, when we teach them about concepts, um, we also require them to do labs to help 
put those concepts into practice. And so, and kind of going to answer the, one of the questions that you asked, which was, you know, why, why is this important? Um, and what problem are we trying to solve? We're really trying to solve that, that talent gap problem. And so back in early 2014, when I was first noodling and messing around with this idea, um, you could see a problem where education, we do a great job of helping people understand. I was a professor at the time, right? Um, but, but there was a lot of um, employers that, uh, you, you know, myself and my co-founders talked with that essentially said, um, so once we get someone in from a traditional education setting, now we've got to invest in them, train them on products. They, you know, they know some theoretical aspects of this, but we really want to get their hands dirty on doing some other things. So it'll take us about a year before we can fully utilize them in the capacity that we want to utilize them. So SecureSet came about so that we could minimize that gap, especially on the employer side and for the individual side. So that when they're here with us, they're actually getting their hands on the keyboard. They're getting some of that direct experience. So by the time they get to the employers, um, they don't feel like, well, now we've got to you know, wait a year to really get the use out of them that we want because they got to be trained on X, Y, or Z. Now, product training, yeah, they may need to learn some new products going in, but in terms of the skills and the things that they've done, um, we try to simulate and recreate some of those experiences in this uh, in their classrooms um, so that they can actually, you know, uh, walk away from here not just with knowing things but knowing how to do things and a portfolio of this these are some of the things that i've actually done yeah yeah i've definitely noticed that you know from from some of the folks i've hired out of traditional education programs it was definitely that problem as they came out and said like we have i've had all this experience I was like, okay great doing what and i'm like that's experience but so much of it is theoretical uh, and that's the problem is that it then converting them to really being useful was almost really starting from ground zero they were just not, they were so green that they just never saw any of the practical approaches. Um, and they were just missing some of the fundamentals, almost in the way that their critical thinking was about some of these problems because they, they isolated themselves in such a bubble. Yep. So it's, it's great that we're, we're kind of, you're taking that approach to kind of get them out. And what, what I've noticed too is a lot of the folks here, this is, you know, there, there's a, there's a huge age range of people that are in the program, which is kind of cool too. So, I mean, are you seeing, where, where do you see the kind of bell curve of the, the folks that are, that are with, you know, coming to secure set? Yeah. Um, I would say late twenties to actually early forties. If you, if you look at that, that's, that's where we get a majority. Now we've had people on the tails of that as well. So, um, you know, later on, uh, as well as earlier on. What is great about it is is they do come with some experience on average, um, but, but, you know, different experience. And so it's wonderful to watch these cohorts and, and them to really interact with their peers and learn from one another um, and help each other based on what their prior lives have taught them. And that's always great to see because we'll have some students that perform really well in this area and others perform really well over here. Um, but you, you know, you can see them helping each other based on what they've done in the past. And you do see sometimes those, um, individuals that are on the, the older scale, right. Which I guess is where I'm heading, right. <laughs> We're all heading in some degree, but, um, but they, um, you know, they take that mentoring role and, and really try to apply those life experiences and helping some of the younger ones in, in, in their study. So I, I always love to see that. I love to see the peer interaction and the peer support that develops um, in these cohorts over time. Um, 
you know, and, and it's a wonderful thing, but it becomes, it comes about because of this, you know, diverse age range that we have. Yeah, definitely seen. And we were, we were kind of talking before we started recording that, you know, some of the folks that I've been interviewing coming out of the Secure Set program, it's great that, you know, they've, this is like maybe a second or third career They're They've had some other life and professional experiences. So it's not like getting somebody that is necessarily so green to the professional world. You know, they've had some, some, experience there that that you don't have to train them in that and cybersecurity and all their other life lessons um it's a much easier transition taking somebody that's you know coming out of here i think with some of the professional experience because they've they've developed either communication project management skills other things that apply that i think um i think is a problem with cybersecurity is that we undervalue a lot of those other experiences and so some of even that some of the challenges i've had internally in my organizations that debate of how much do we value pure cybersecurity skills versus all the other things that come with it. And one of the trends that you and I have talked about for a year and in other things is, is that lack of communication skills and some of those, those soft skills that a lot of the technical people don't have. Yeah, and, and especially since this is becoming such a more, a more prominent uh, part of organizations and what's on the forefront of their minds, um, uh, it, it, it's becoming increasingly, increasingly more important. So um, I actually, I always, you know, uh, self, my little self-indulgence is I try to find a way into the classroom and every one of my campuses yeah. <laughs> throughout a cohort. And so I just, yeah, I went and taught in the Denver students this last Friday. One of the things that I was talking to them about is, um, you, you have to understand that security is really everybody's responsibility in an organization, which means that it provides an added burden on security teams to really be evangelists of security within an organization, which requires <laughs> some soft skills, yeah. right? Because you can't just go out to people and say, technically, here are the reasons why we're doing these things and expect them to understand. Most people won't understand those reasons. So instead, you have to um, figure out how you're going to instill a mindset around security and what that means for the different positions in the organization. Um, but to, to really be that, uh, that evangelist of security inside the organization requires a level of soft skills that, uh, you know, that, that, that we all, you know, need the, need the security team to have. Yeah. And, and the way, can you also describe a little bit how you've broken up the, the programs and some of the skill areas that you decided to say, okay, here are the ones we're going to focus on. You know, here's the stuff that, that floats to the top. Yeah. So we have two programs right now. We got a third that will we'll probably introduce later in the year. Um, but right now, we'll, a lot of the way that we do our curriculum development is we, um, go talk with a number of employers and say, hey, when you're looking for engineer, pen tester, or you know, you know, these, uh, these type positions, right? What are the skills and competencies that you're really after? And, and we go through and um, we, we do that across several, uh, well, a lot of companies. And then, um, then we start to back that into, okay, so what do they need to be taught from a theory angle? What do they need to actually do from a lab angle, practice angle? Um, in order to get some level of competence around these skills. And then we've done that. So our core program, for example, is our more technical uh, focused program. And so out of there, we, we see a lot of individuals that have placed in either engineering type roles or, or pen testing roles or what I would call a technical analyst type role, um, consulting roles, and so on and so forth. And then we have our hunt analyst program 
which is more focused on threat analyst, uh, security analyst uh, type roles. We've seen some uh, sales engineers and, and other things, consultants out of that as well. But it's a little more on the analytical side, so we don't go as deep technically. Um, because a lot of these individuals aren't necessarily aspiring to be on the engineering side, but they are on the analytical side, which means they still have to have some level of technical proficiency so they can perform. Whereas in the core side, right, they, they have the options of, you know, really that engineer type role or pen tester type role and anything in between. So yeah. is that helpful? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, especially as, as, a, as a hiring manager. I mean, these are the types of the, you know, things that we ask ourselves, you know, when, when we're looking at our job racks, so like, what are the skills that we need? And a lot of it really is, it's the, it's, it's a lot of those core skills and uh, there's definitely the critical thinking, but, you know, we're seeing so much now, uh, you know, everybody's moving to levels of some level of SOC, you know, some secure operation center that you're going to be monitoring feeds and having to respond on a regular basis. So this with this greater uh, capabilities of monitoring and, and less of a drive-by forensics and threat hunting, um, developing those types of people that know how to read alerts and put down false positives become increasingly important. And yep. it really kind of leads into the area that we are, you know, within the Denver area. I mean, there's just, there's yeah. a, a lot of socks here, a lot of yeah. socks, you know, people that are running <laughs> operation centers. So that also leads me to kind of ask the question, you know, what was it about Denver that made you kind of, uh, you know, build your, build your business here? Um, honestly, uh, you know, uh, community. Um, we have just a fantastic community here in Colorado. Um, and, and so the, our business really functions off community. The, the way that we, a lot of students find out about us is we, hold different community events or we do different things and they come by and they try it and they're like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, and so to go into an area that didn't have established community, um, would be harder, right? Um, a lot of our instructors we've met, you know, through community and, and so community is really important. And so Denver just has a really mature community in terms of security here, which made it an ideal place to, to launch. Why, I mean, why do you, why do you think it did develop that? I mean, why, what, what is it about you know, the water in Denver that makes it, you know, so much people so much friendly about it as opposed to, you know, the Bay Area or New York City that are generally thought of the hotbeds for cybersecurity? Yeah, it, it's a great question, and, and I won't pretend to know all the, <laughs> the answers to that one for sure. I do think, um, you know, we're smaller, so we're not quite as big, but we're still big enough that um, you've got this range of security uh, expertise, meaning like there's... Um, you know, very large companies and large security organizations to smaller companies. Um, uh, but what I would say is I think um, you, you also have a, group, a committed group of people. And I think there are a couple core groups that have formed out here that have just really created a platform uh, for th that community. I also think certain chapters, whether that's ISSA or OWASP or other, some of these other things, are very, very active and maybe more active than you would see in other cities, right? And I think the mix of just um, some of the, the CISO groups and others getting together and saying, hey, let's share best practices and help each other out. These chapters that are really, you know, vibrant and a lot of activity going on and, and these sorts of things all coming together just make for a lot of interactions, context of interactions for people to uh, meet each other and, and plug in and, and do great things. Yeah, I've noticed it's, it's a really interesting community that, uh, again, the differences that I've seen from, from either New York City or the Bay Area is that the CISOs and security 
the senior security leadership are so much more approachable here and they tend to get together more yeah. and are more part of the community where I felt like the meetup groups and other things that I was involved with, particularly in New York City, it was just a bunch of other consultants uh-huh. or a lot of other junior <laughs> people where here, you know, you can get you can get in touch with Rob Ruck from Ping and, and you know, the guys, uh, you know, James Carter from Logan. I mean, these are people that will talk to you and you'll probably see at events um, and they just seem much more approachable. Is that kind of what you've seen? Absolutely. Yeah. No, very approachable and very supportive. Right. And I think um, they come at it from a perspective of, look, we all are trying to accomplish the same goal. We need to help each other out. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I wholeheartedly believe in that approach and, and, uh, and I think a lot of other people, you know, feel that same way. And so I think it makes for a great thing versus the, well, I don't have time to do that because I've got more important things to do. And so, you know, I would say there are a lot of leaders in the community that um, do a lot of things. And I'd even say, you know, as you've come in here and plugged in and, and you're very active in this community and, and, and add a lot uh, along those lines as well. Okay. And so, um, you know, that all builds to this overall picture of, you know, what we're all trying to accomplish together. So Yeah, there is a little bit of a perpetual motion that gets involved here. Once you kind of get plugged in around here, you, you everybody kind of shares and feeds off the same energy. Yeah. It's, it, I definitely feel less jaded here than I have in a long time, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. It's it's definitely a better uh, work and life balance. But I guess part of the fear is, too, is, you know, can this grow too much? I mean, now we're, we're seeing where Google was first going to do a 1,200-person campus in Boulder, and then like, ah, let's just do 4,000 and then put it as massive <laughs> campus up, uh, up by me. Uh, there's the <laughs> constant talks, and who knows if it's rumors are true about you know Amazon moving second headquarters here. Is the attraction to what drives people to Denver could that be its own demise at a certain point? Always, right? At some yeah. point, right? You 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 hit the that tipping point. Though, I mean, I think Denver has a lot to offer, right? We're we're actually at this great location in terms of reaching both sides of the country, which mm-hmm. is great. But you also have. Um, a growing population, which allows for uh, you know a lot of great human capital here that could be uh, used, repurposed, or, or whatever towards these other other jobs. So, um, and it's just a beautiful place to live. We can't we can't forget that aspect no. of it. <laughs> but but I just think it has a lot going for it, uh, which is great. But but yeah, um, at a certain point, you know, m- maybe we've outgrown. Uh, our capacities. Really, I think that will come down to some of the infrastructure when it gets really hard to mm-hmm. to drive and get along if we don't figure out, you know, some of those issues. Yeah, so. and do you see, you know, the kind of, you know, and I know we'll kind of touch on you've grown in other cities as well, but it was the model that you developed, therefore scalable to the point where you can then say, okay, you get these big companies are moving in, they're putting in these job wrecks, they're all going to have need security mm-hmm. people. Right? Can you scale to really kind of meet those demands? We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> So we really are, and, and and what's what's wonderful about it is there is so much demand um, that there's we're you know there's no way we can meet it currently, and even if I run my projections out and I take my Excel spreadsheet and I and I drag it over to the right, um, <laughs> I, we're still not going to touch the demand, and in, in the sense that um, there's just a lot of uh, you know increased demand in this area, and there will continue to be in the next for the next foreseeable future. That being said, what we're, what we're really trying to do is, um, you know, chip away at that the best we can and try to get the best individuals we can into the marketplace so that over time, 
we can all sort of shape the way security is being thought at, uh, thought about and approached in, in those companies. So we're trying. Yeah. It's, it's a long road ahead of us. So. It is. It's, it's just always, always pushing the boulder up the hill no matter yes. what. Uh, but you, where, where are some of the other areas you have expanded to? I believe it's Colorado Springs and Tampa. Correct. Yeah, we're down in Colorado Springs. We actually have a unique program down there where we work with Fort Carson. Um, and six months before a soldier transitions out of the military, uh, they can apply to be part of this, uh, you know, cybersecurity careers program. And for their last six months, they actually spend with us in our core technical program. And then, we, you know, we help them find employment on the other side. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing that we're doing there with Fort Carson to help those soldiers who are heading out of active duty, but, um, you know, wanting to you know, find that way into transitioning to their, their next their next career. And so um, we're able to do that there. So we do that in Colorado Springs. Um, and then in Tampa, Florida, um, you know, we've we've got that one, uh, that campus up and launched uh, as of January. We started holding classes down there. And uh, that's wonderful as well. And, and um, a, a lot of, they've got a really mature community out there as well, which is, which is again, wonderful. A lot of great things going on. And again, we just, we're trying to be out there and supportive of that community and then what we can do out there. So we're looking at probably two additional locations this year in different states um, to, to kind of plug into some additional communities and see if we can help those employers as well. Yeah. So. Now, as people kind of come into cybersecurity, what, you know, there's, everybody has their own kind of uh, biases and, and notions of what it really means. I mean, what, what are the common misconceptions that you think a lot of people that are saying, gosh, yeah, I really want to get into cybersecurity, but like they, they, there's some mental roadblock they have with it. Yeah, and, and um, most of it is, is what I describe as a self-efficacy problem where they don't believe they can do it, right? And oftentimes it's a... Uh, Technical. There's a couple of things. Either they don't believe they have the technical skill set, and they think that all cybersecurity is and security is is, is uh, pen testing and hacking. And it's like, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> small <laughs> subset. <laughs> small subset. There's a lot going on out there. Yeah. Um, and and I think sometimes people just think even people that I would say that have a technical background. What they've run up against is they've tried to think about and get into security is, um, well, in order to get into security, I already have to have experience in security, but I don't have experience in security. I have experience in tech, so how do I get into security, yeah. right? And so it's that chicken and the egg problem that we see a lot. Um, and that's where you know we're, we're excited, again, to try to help both of those individuals find their place, but act as a bridge and trying to say, hey, we'll, we'll give you some experience doing some of the security things and getting all the knowledge that you need to do perform these certain functions so that an employer can look at you and ask you questions and you can say, well, yeah, I've done that and here's what I've done. And and that just makes it more likely for them to, to find the role that they're after. Gotcha. Is, is there also, a, would you say there's a common skill overall that that people should be focusing on? Maybe not even on a technical side, but I mean, we kind of talked about some of the soft skills, but is there so one that really kind of comes to mind? It's interesting. What I would say, and I would I'd love your perspective as well. I mean, I think there's there's a couple key things that, depending on the role they go into, it's just good to know. So I think you know, scripting or Python language. I mean, like having that, um, especially for anything, whether that's I think even on the analyst side, that can be helpful. Definitely on the engineering side, what and whatnot. That's just a good thing to know and to mm -hmm. have. Um, and and honestly, it's not that hard to learn and there's a lot of resources out there to help push you down the path um, um, applying it 
is where we I think we can become really helpful. But um, but I think some of those things are really good. And and I think um, a lot of people, again, from my perspective in this industry, um, like to be challenged and they like to solve puzzles. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't know how you quantify that, but yeah. I think people who like doing those things um, are probably a really good fit for this industry. Yeah, I would say so, definitely. And one of the things I try to encourage the folks that, that I bring on board is to cross-train. So yeah. say, for example, if you're, in, you're heavily into testing and offensive security, you got to spend at least a day a week, a couple days a month, you know, doing some forensics. You need to yeah. know what it looks like for both sides and, and quite frankly, get to, get outside of your comfort zone. So, you know, at least you know, a couple times a month, I'll have to go and I, I'm a Mac user, a Windows user, not big on, on Linux or Unix, but I'll force myself for like a day. Okay, I'll just, I'll just use <laughs> Linux and just curse at like a, that, what a, a novice I feel like. But you really have to kind of force yourself outside of that comfort zone. So how, how do you, I guess, like how do we encourage people to do that more often? Because it's, it's only until you really challenge yourself that you grow. It's, it's so true. And, and, and I think by habit, we like to stay in comfort zones, oh, yeah. right? Because we're really good at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it, it is a really it's a really important thing. We have a part of our program on in all of our programs called security culture. So we talk about this notion of being the evangelist out there, but we also talk about professional development mm-hmm. and how important that really is. And um, uh, I think it's just really hard for all of us to take the time that we need to keep sharpening that saw. Um, and so I don't know that I have a, a magic <laughs> bullet or you know an answer that um, is different than what we've already heard, right? But it's just, you know, making sure that we constantly challenge ourselves. Otherwise, we won't grow and, and we won't be happy, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm sure you guys, you know, kind of coach, and I, I know you do because I've, I've worked with some of the recruiters that you guys have in here. But, you know, what are some of the things that you do try to prepare some of the students coming out for, for the types of questions they should expect to be asked during an interviewing process and the types of questions they should be asking about organizations they're evaluating? Yeah. And, and um, you know, we have some fantastic people as you you mentioned that that work with all of our students to help mm-hmm. them along that path a lot of one of the things that we we want to make sure that they're um that they feel really comfortable going in with is talking about their background but then also talking about their experience here and what they can what they've done right because mm-hmm. i think at the end of the day what i've seen and, and again love any feedback that you have um uh, I think for a while people thought, well, I just have to get a certification and that was going to qualify me or, or allow me to get this job. And that'll signal to the marketplace that I, hey, I'm in security. And I think, especially in larger companies, that, that sometimes gets you past the HR yeah. piece of the organization. But when you get to that hiring manager, they're not interested in the certification as much as they're interested in, well, tell me what you would do. Or here's a hypothetical situation. Tell me how you would approach it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what a lot of what we talk to the students about is like what an employer is going to be looking for is how you think about a problem, what you've done and how you've thought about the problem and what you would do to try to go after it. That will tell them vastly more than anything on a piece of paper you call your resume. And so we really try to help them um, know how to better articulate some of those things. And, and as you can imagine, there's diverse population in our classroom and from age groups and everything and so um people have different levels of their ability to articulate those things right but we we work with them to try to say here are the things that they're looking for and you need to be able to think about an answer and so you know think about it before you go to the interview don't don't wait till the interview to be surprised that those are the things they're going to ask you so 
Yeah, the big thing I found too in, in trying to mentor some people through these processes too is that don't just just don't rattle off the tools that you've touched. And I found sometimes, you know, because you yeah, you might get a hiring manager, so you tell me specifically what menu this or what, what where this is on this options on this this tool and how would you do it and if you've only glanced at it once, it's not enough. Like that you really Absolutely. Have to it. it's not kinda of goes back to like getting that hands-on experience and, and do you do you guys also encourage you know we talked a little about the labs but like even people doing home labs or coming yeah. in here and working on labs to really just spend more time outside of the classroom yeah absolutely now it's like some of our students um because again we have a wide range right and some of them are um further down the path than others is when they come to us and, and you know go further down the path mm-hmm. and we, we've had a lot of those students we've said great now start why don't you build some labs that you and your your cohort can take advantage of and, and we've had several um of them do that and, and usually every cohort we've got a group that have gotten together and, and done something and and that's always really productive right because then they've transitioned a little bit from especially for their peer group not just being the learner but to being the teacher as well and that makes them even better at you know what they're trying to learn and, and do so um, but yeah we absolutely encourage them to do that we also actually encourage them to be active members of the community um, and and get involved because that's the other part about I think em- employment as we both know is you can't just send out a resume and hope that a, a job falls in your lap you got to get out there and network and network and network and that's another thing that we really work on with them and saying hey what events are you going to hey what conferences are you going to <laughs> yeah right so and you know you touched on a little bit before in certifications I mean do you think there are value in certifications yeah I think um, the market sees them as a signal and and so uh, they are important from that standpoint and and I think um, as I was talking about some of those large organizations to make it past the HR if you don't have those certifications you may not make it past but you may be perfect for that position and so um, obviously it depends on the career path that they're going down some career paths and, and level and, and size of companies require them, others do not. Um, but I don't know that it ever hurts them uh, to get those certifications to use them when they need them. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm supportive of certifications. I want to be very clear, but um, I, don't, I think they're a necessary but not sufficient condition for um, what lies ahead of them in the career. Yeah, and what I've noticed is a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that I've worked with is I really try to work with them thinking about that as a career path. You know, once you get a certification, um, there's a there's a maintenance cost that goes with it, yeah. and so if you get too many, you might find yourself you know either deficient <laughs> in them or you know when you're when you're negotiating with an employer, and, and I certainly it's funny how many of the people that I uh, am a hiring manager for, I have to encourage them to ask me about the training and the certification stuff because there's, there's not the right budget for it. You might find yourself that you have all these certifications and you need $10,000 worth a year of training and upkeep. And that's, <laughs> that's a cost that you're going to have to you know put on your, your employer and they don't always right. think about it. Yep. It's true. Yeah. So it's, it, there's, uh, I think there's a lot to it that, that goes into building a cybersecurity, <laughs> cybersecurity career and, and putting yourself out there. But you know, and we talked about it a little bit too on the Android. And, and do you see that there are, you know, and kind of that that imposter syndrome, and then people feel like they can't. I mean, does, you know, <laughs> as I'm in my early 40s now, it, it'd be I think it'd be difficult for me to make a, a career change to something else. But how do how do you kind of help people that are maybe in a different part of their lives? Um, think through that problem, like give themselves a better self uh, evaluation and value a lot of their other experience so they can say, yeah, I can do this. 
Yeah, I, and, and, and I agree with you. I don't think it's without challenge, especially for certain individuals, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and there is that imposter syndrome that definitely you know, surfaces like, wow, am I really cut out for this or can I really do this? And, and um, you know, so we, we talk to them about a lot of these things, but sometimes, like, so for example, in our hump program, we do a capstone where uh, we require them to, um, they don't even know that they're demonstrating, but they're demonstrating everything that they've learned. And then that comes like it, it's at those moments that they go, oh, wait a second. Maybe I'm not as much of an <laughs> imposter as I thought I yeah. am. Right. And it's not that they've learned everything. Right. Because we always have to be humble because there's so much more out here than we can ever learn. Right. But but it gives them that little bit of confidence of, OK, well, maybe I didn't realize that I was growing all along the way, but I've actually gained something here. And that's that's valuable. And so I think trying to, you know, architect those moments in um to those those students' experiences are things that we definitely talk about and think about, so that they have that confidence, and they can, but also the humility where they can go, look, I don't know everything, but here's some things that I've done, and I'm willing to grow, I'm willing to challenge myself, and that's how we're going to get there. So, I think um, that those candidates have a much easier time and will have a great career, even if they are, you know, 40, 50, whatever. They, as long as they're hungry, willing to learn, then I think. You know, we can use them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all about the passion and the willing. And is he right that that humility is to say, look, I know what I know. I don't know everything, but I'm right. willing to learn more. Yep. Um, and that is one of the things that I think I've I've learned to look for um, as a hiring manager is, is people that have learned how to learn. Right. You know, this to have yep. that mindset uh, becomes uh, increasingly important. Yes. So you know, when you kind of step back and look, and there's all this new technology, and it was the, the last year at RSA, and the last couple of years has been all the machine learning and AI that just gets talked yeah. about constantly. And I've talked to a lot of others on, on the podcast about it too. But do you see that developing enough that can also help kind of close that that need that gap for people? Um, you know, what, what's your kind of whole take on on the machine yeah. learning and AI portion? So uh, obviously, fan is very supportive. Um, here's my here's my take, uh, as uninformed as yeah. it, or as informed as it might be. Um, you know, I don't believe in this. May come back to bite me thirty years from now, but I don't <laughs> think so. I don't believe that like computers will ever be able to do the job without a human's help. Mm -hmm. In the sense that. The, the smarter we can make the algorithms and everything, that they can do more of what like what's happening right now, trying to take out some of the tier one or lower level mm -hmm. analyst type work, say, for example, right? At some point, you still need humans to help the computer learn. You still need intuition to look over what those algorithms have produced to say, is it right or is it not? You know, do we have the, you know, the, the type one and the type two errors? Are they, are, they, are, they, are they getting this better than humans are? Can they process more data? Probably, but you still need a human at the end of the day to check to make sure that, you know, when something happens, what does that mean and uh, what decisions need to be made now. So, where I see that playing into, it may help uh, reduce some of the front line. Um, all that means is that that front line needs to now retool and reskill and basically take over the next level and uh, just be more sophisticated, because now we're working with computers to fight these problems, which we always have been, yeah. it's just in more sophisticated ways. Um, 
Um, but now we've got to be more sophisticated because the computers are going to take care of some of the easier stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it's been some of the things that I've talked to on other, other podcast guests. It's like it's it's not a replacement. It's it's going to aid and assist. Right. But that's really just kind of assisted. And even with, um, you know, it's a little bit of two steps forward, one step back. I mean, no matter what, right. you're never really getting rid of the entire problem. It's like yeah. you're, you're getting rid of portions of it, but there's still stuff you have to account for. Yeah. So it's always going to be a kind of an interesting uh, dynamic between it. <laughs> yes. But then it comes back to some of the other skills we talked about is, it's, you know, it's like people that can do automation scripting, like learning how to do that so alerts are normalized and, and held, you know, in, in a, a better queue is just that's there's new areas of skills that develop out of that, too. Yes. Now, when we get to the point where we're teaching computer soft skills. Yeah. <laughs> I have trouble teaching human soft skills. I don't. I'm worried about the computer aspect. Yeah, that's right. I can get some some of my younger analysts just to write an email that's not like a text message. I'd, that'd be great. <laughs> Um, but we, we kind of touched about a little bit uh, on, on this recording so far. But you know about the kind of community involvement, and I think that's always a, a challenge for a lot of people too. It's not only how do I get involved with security as a career, but how do I plug myself into the community? Right. So I guess where where do you kind of uh, shove people off the ledge a little bit on that? Where do you say you know take that first step? Well, yeah. So I'd say for a lot of our students, you, you know we host a number of events and so it should be really easy for them to show up at some of those Mm -hmm. events but we really think for them to grow and develop we want them to you know do much more than that right so we encourage them to look at some of the different groups that probably um, may make more sense for them right whether that's ISSA, ISACO, OWASP right or whatever you have Um, besides right DC 303, right? There's yeah, a lot of there's great. A lot around here. <laughs> there's a lot, and it's like, what? In, what are you interested in? What are What are the crowds and the problems that you're interested in? Right, in cloud security, right? So, what is it? Um, go get involved with those communities, right? And and that's what we really do encourage them to try to go um, to some of these uh, events just to get to know the people, to get to know the questions and the things that they're looking at, and then. Um, help build themselves again it's part of that learning path and i think that's why we uh, a lot of us are active in community because it's about growth it's about development and that's what we we need to grow together we can't just grow on our own and and you know on our own computers in our own basements trying to make it all work so yeah and i I think people underappreciate the need or maybe the challenges i should say with putting on events you know besides uh you know, Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. So they're, yep. they're all doing things that are community-driven and involved, and people don't realize they they can help out in a lot of these organizations. Yeah. Like just going in there and lending a hand, helping out in community organization, volunteering at a registration desk. They're, these are these are skills that anybody can do, and it just it gets you out there involved in the community. And it's um, I don't think people appreciate how much of a help that really is, and how appreciated their efforts will be. Yeah. No. I. Couldn't agree more, yeah. right? So we, we always kind of push for people to do that. So, well, Brad, I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where, where can people find you and, and you know, find you online and things like yeah, that? Yeah, so we're at uh, secureset.com, um, and uh, we've got our campus here, 2228 Blake. And, you know, like I said, we, we host a number of events every month. And so um, 
you can you can always come find us. So. Yeah, you can always come uh, you know come to a class and then go to a Rockies game. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yes, it's wonderful. Get a brewery next to it. It's like it really is. I don't think people understand what, what a mecca it really is at Denver. Denver. So I, I, as much as I'm like encouraging, I'm also at the same time I've only been here a year, but really gonna start pulling up the ladder because. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, thank you for taking the time to have a great conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.